Huge jump in repo fails at the end of the year. Really big numbers here. But what does that really tell us? Repo fails, they're about collateral. They can be a serious indication of monetary strain, but they're also very quirky and require some additional work and detail in order to make sense of them. What are repo fails? What do they actually mean? And what might a spike in fails be telling us? That's what we need to go over today because combined with everything else and context is really the key here, it may be something that we do need to pay attention to as a warning about dealer capacities and dealer activities because it's dealers that do the circulating of money and credit and collateral through the global euro dollar system that leads to either positive outcomes like a soft landing or can really hamstring the economy, the financial system, volatility, all of that stuff leading in the wrong direction, which seems to be consistent with what bonds are telling us. So if repo fails can be an important signal in the right context, let's talk about what repo fails are and what they actually mean. And we just put together a report on a, how to spot a collateral shortage. And that's available to anyone who wants it. There's a link in the description of this video. It's about not just what a collateral shortage looks like, what it looks like in the context of September and October of 2022, which was a collateral issue, a big one. Even officials in Europe admitted it. So all the signs of a collateral shortage, that's the report. We're making that available. Again, link in the description. But as far as repo fails go, they are a quirky, intermittent, non-continuous signal. You could see fails spike and then as quickly as they did, they'll just disappear and go back into the woodwork. So we do have to put them into context. But when they do spike and it is consistent with that overall context, it is a powerful signal for maybe some severe strain developing all across the Eurodollar system. Because what we're after, what we really want to see is dealer capacity. Dealers are, make, are what make everything work or don't work. To understand what repo fails are, we have to understand securities lending. And securities lending is a hugely misunderstood, massively important part of the global monetary system that hardly anyone knows it goes on. And I'm going to read to you from a report that I just referenced a couple of days ago talking about the context behind repo fails. This is from IOSCO in July of 1999. And IOSCO is the International Organization of Securities Commissions. I don't know what the last O is. It just sits there. But essentially, all of the world's major securities markets regulators get together in a group. And the reason I'm going to read you to you from a report from July 1999 is, even though this is 25 years ago, 25 years ago, all this information was available and people didn't pay any attention to it, including monetary authorities. Because securities lending is treated as one of those quirks of finance and Wall Street and dealer banks. Therefore, what does that have to do with monetary regulation? And it has everything to do with monetary regulation. But securities lending is essentially the practice where collateral necessarily flows throughout the euro dollar system because collateral is the backbone of it. In order to mass produce money the way the euro dollar system did, it required either more specialized intermediation, which is inefficient and unprofitable, or in place of understanding everything about the counterparty you're lending money to, what if we just standardize financial collateral? Therefore, I don't need to know anything about you. I just need to know something about this standardized financial instrument that you're going to post as collateral. It made 
lending on a mass scale, wholesale money on a mass scale possible. And by the end of the 1990s, it was already gigantic. I know you never heard about this. Even today, 25 years later, hardly anyone knows this happens. This is what IOSCO was saying in July of 99. Outside government securities markets, definitive and internationally comparable statistics on the types of securities lending transactions traded and the amounts outstanding are not readily available. Nothing has changed in the quarter century since. Securities lending transactions are typically privately negotiated transactions, example, conducted over the counter outside a central trading floor or a central electronic trading system. They're out there in the euro dollar hinterlands. Securities lending markets involve such a wide range of market participants, including many that are not closely regulated, notably hedge funds, that comprehensive information on the official size of domestic securities lending markets is difficult to obtain. The fact that for many jurisdictions, the offshore market can be as large as, if not larger than, the domestic market makes data collection even more difficult and even more essential. That's the point that I keep coming back to and get really frustrated about. Why didn't anybody say, hey, we should take a more determined look at what's going on in securities lending and all of this collateral trade and flow out there in the world? Because it's offshore, it's Eurodial, it's the global reserve currency and how it actually operates. This is not some financial niche. This is monetary reality. Continue with IOSCO. Securities lending has become a central part of securities market activity in recent years. It's only gotten bigger to a point where the daily volume of securities transactions for financing purposes considerably exceeds that of outright purchase and sale transactions. And this is July 1999, which is why I keep coming back to it. July 1999, securities lending was already massive and massively important. So that's the background, securities lending. And I know you ask yourself, well, why would anybody need to borrow securities? The immediate answer is for short selling. You borrow a security so that you can sell it today, planning on buying it back at some point at a lower price. And that's where some of the activity in securities lending comes from and where it goes to, short selling, but that's not the whole of it. In fact, most of it is about securities transformation and getting collateral that you want, that you need, in order to make funding transactions the most efficient, the highest amount of leverage. And the simple example that I always give is a hedge fund. Imagine you're a hedge fund and you want to buy some risky security. And hedge funds are all about leverage for good reason. And the way you can get the most maximum leverage is to put a little bit amount of your own money in and then finance the rest of the purchase of that transaction. And you do so most cheaply and most easily and dependably in repo. So say you put up $5 of your own money, $95 you intend in borrowing repo, but if you're buying a risky security, you're not going to be able to get $95 in financing from the repo market. You could, you can get better than $95 if you had, say, a U.S. Treasury, but you don't want a U.S. Treasury. That's too low yielding. But you contact a dealer, a money dealer, a bond dealer, and the dealer will say, either I have a, a treasury bond and inventory that you could borrow, or if I don't, I know someone who does, an insurance company or pension fund that has a large static portfolio of securities that they're only too happy to take these low yielding securities 
and get a little bit of extra yield out of them. So they'll lend the dealer, not necessarily to you, the hedge fund, but mostly they'll lend to the dealer and then the dealer on your behalf will take that treasury into the marketplace, into the repo and buy or borrow the funds that you need in order to complete and fund your transaction. You roll this over every day, every day. In order to do that though, you have to put that security that you bought up as collateral for the collateral. So we have lots of borrowing and lending of collateral and blending of collateral through dealer activities that keep it all moving all throughout the euro dollar system. And it all depends upon dealers who for managing spreads and various uh, demand for collateral versus supply of collateral, they intermediate on behalf of the market for their own profit incentives, which means they're also taking some risk, which opens the door for dealer constraints to become collateral constraints to therefore become monetary constraints or deflation. Deflation being the interruption in the free flow of money and credit throughout the monetary system. The worst case if it continues to get bad enough. We do have some limited information on how dealers manage their collateral practices on their balance sheet. There is something called FR2052A that the government collects, bank regulars collect from major banks. It's called the Complex Institution Liquidity Monitoring Report. And of course, we have absolutely no access to it. All the information is private, but some special Official researchers do get into the data and they do present to us studies and uh, articles and reports every, every once in a while. This is something, by the way, that I'm going over the most recent classroom videos for Eurodollar University members, which we're calling the grad level. We're actually going into some of the reports on FR2052A as they specifically relate to collateral practices and what that can tell us about how dealers are operating this environment. But overall, the point is Dealers are essential to intermediate collateral, which is essential to maintain the practice of monetary flow. So backing up again, our point here is to discover what repo fails might be able to tell us both as a measure of that flow and more, maybe more importantly, how dealers may be responding or not responding to issues that crop, that crop up all the time in this complex securities lending environment. Now with specifically just repo fails, let's go to something that the Federal Reserve Bank of New York has put out. It's called FR2004, which is reporting instructions for dealers to report on fails. And this is what they tell us about fails. And the reason I bring up these sources is because just so you, you don't have to take my word on these things about securities lending, all these, the stuff that goes on with repo and repo fails will just blow your mind. And if I'm just some guy on the internet telling you about it, You'd think it was, I was just making this up, but this is all sourced directly from either IOSCO in the case of the one part of the report or here, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Here's what they have to say about repo fails. Reported fails numbers sometimes can reach elevated levels due to so-called daisy chains and round robins, and these things will blow your mind, in which an initial delivery failure causes a chain of subsequent fails as the party expecting to receive the security initial transaction fails to deliver to its counterpart in the second transaction. In other words, one part of the daisy chain or round robin doesn't deliver the security when they're supposed to. So 
I have cash, I lend it to you, you give me the security, I now have your security, I'm supposed to give that security back to you tomorrow and you give me the cash back, but for some reason, I don't give you the security back, largely because I've re-lent that security to somebody else and maybe they don't have it available, I can't get it back, therefore I can't give it back to you. So that leads to something called a fail. And if I fail, that means that I don't give you the security back and you've probably borrowed it from somebody else, which means you can't give that security back to whoever you need to give it back to. And so now we're starting to, these daisy chains are starting to collapse and these fails are starting to pile up. Now they can pile up for any number of benign and innocuous reasons, which repo fails would go up and that wouldn't mean anything. Again, remember what I said about context. But there are times when Maybe I don't give you the collateral back and that leads to a daisy chain failure and fails start to pile up for reasons that we do want to know. Maybe I'm a dealer and I'm experiencing collateral problems and I would rather hoard collateral than give the collateral I borrowed from you back. So that's, that's one of those times that we need to pay attention. Back to FRBNY. Here's the really important part. This is the part of fails that we want to pay the most attention to. Once a significant volume of fails occurs, lenders of collateral sometimes also withhold collateral because they are concerned that existing fails diminish the likelihood of that collateral being returned to them. Such withholding can be self-fulfilling because withholding scarce collateral can increase the incidence of fails in and of itself. And that's the part we want to zero in on. If we see a spike in fails because dealers are withholding collateral, it means that dealers see something they're not especially um, happy about. So they are taking proactive steps to defend their own activities, to withhold collateral that they're supposed to give back when, going back to FRBNY, the importance of delivery change and the potential feedback effects from changes in the withholding behavior of collateral lenders also imply that relatively small amounts of collateral can settle a larger volume of failed transactions. An increase in collateral can be delivered from one party to the next to clear up a chain of failed trades, and the resolution of failed trades may, in turn, make collateral lenders more willing to lend securities that have been short supply. So recognizing that if dealers are withholding collateral that they could then issue to clear up a lot of fails, Again, that could potentially mean something very important about what dealers are doing. Another thing, that, another reason why dealers might hoard collateral, that's something Iosco wrote about in July 1999 that I mentioned a couple days ago. A financial institution may, for example, borrow securities in the expectation that others will shortly be prepared to pay more to borrow them. So there's a market, of in, market incentive to hoard collateral as the price of collateral, the hidden price of collateral, which is really hidden, um, we'll talk about that in future videos, but the hidden price of collateral goes way up. It pays to be able to borrow collateral because you can take advantage of that economic opportunity. So fails are potentially something important about the flow of collateral and dealers intermediating that flow or not intermediating that flow. And that's what we want to pay attention to. But as I said in the introduction, fails can be very fickle and fleeting. And not every, time do we, not every time there is a spike in fails does it mean that something bad is happening. It could just be an innocuous pileup of failures that for some specific reasons that we'll never know, some really benign reasons that we'll never know, fails just spiked. 
And this happened quite frequently in the pre-crisis era without leading to a complete breakdown in the system. Context is really key here. But there are also times when fails do spike that is consistent with a more deflationary context that we do want to pay attention to. The most obvious, of course, in 2008, March, uh, actually even before we got to March 2008, there was a huge surge in repo fails late January, over to, to more than a trillion the final week in January that's combined to receive and to deliver. Then there was a 1.8 trillion in fails the week before Bear Stearns failed, this is while several hedge funds like Carlyle were experiencing massive liquidity problems, collateral shortages. JP Morgan was getting really nervous as the tri-party custodian, all of that stuff. Then there was $2 trillion in fails the week after Bear Stearns while the Federal Reserve was trying to celebrate. There was still massive collateral problems and we were still talking about failures of monoline insurers that people have long forgotten about. And then, of course... September 2008, there was 800 billion in fails the first week in September as the GSEs became shaky. Then three and a half trillion in repo fails the week Lehman Brothers was announced. And that spiraled up to 5.3 trillion in combined fails the two middle weeks in October as we experienced the biggest meltdown since the 1930s. Because when you look at fails and you look at what actually happened in that context, if you had to describe the 2008 monetary, not financial crisis, in very simple terms, it would have been collateral shortage. That's what fails were telling us. Beyond the crisis, um, fails in the middle of 2009 felt to exceptionally low levels because things started to get cleaned up. But essentially, there was another smaller spike, but still a noticeable spike in the first week of May 2010, which was the flash crash on Wall Street, the Greek bond crisis, all that repo stuff, that was just 117 billion in fails, but that was almost double what was normal by then. In 2011, during that crisis, uh, there was a sh another similar sp spike as, as in 2010, the, the last week in July as the crisis was really developing. And then the first two weeks in September, first two weeks in September, fails surged to almost half a trillion. It was more than half a trillion the first week and 462 billion the next week. And the Fed was debating doing a QE3. They came out with Operation Twist because they chickened out. But essentially things had gotten so bad, especially as it related to collateral in Europe. It was not a European sovereign debt crisis with another collateral shortage. And so this spike in fails in September 2011 was a key indicator that things were heating up as they would continue to over the, le the rest of that year into the next year. Another spike in fails, June of 2014, suggesting that unlike what everybody was saying about uh, that period of time, the recovery is going to roar, financial system was perfectly fine. He had a 400 billion spike in fails late June, which suggests instead Eurodollar number three was about to get serious, which of course it did. Of course, there was a big spike in repo fails, March of 2020, no surprise there. That only got to about 400 billion because in the post-2017 environment, there's lots of treasury bills, which are a key collateral. And then the big one last year that I mentioned, again, there's a report on what collateral shortages look like, what to look for, what 2022 is about, link in the description. But October, September and October 2022, the final week of September 2022, the first week in October, 870 billion fails September, 520 billion in fails October, suggesting the collateral shortage was going to become a big deal. Right after that led to the conditions which would eventually become the banking crisis of March and April 2023. So securities lending, huge important part of intermediating flows of credit, cash, collateral, everything throughout 
the euro dollar system, global reserve currency. And money dealers are the key to the whole thing. So repo fails might be nothing, but they can also be something important about dealers, either their inability to settle fails or their their aversion to do so because they're seeing something that is consistent with a deflationary environment. So fails start to pile up for maybe some of the bad reasons that are consistent with some of the other signals that we've been talking around, talking about all over the Eurodollar system, including swap spreads and others. And this is something I just went over in a deep dive analysis, correlating repo fails with some of these other signals. But as I mentioned at the beginning, with repo fails, you don't want to rely on just those because they are fleeting, quirky signal. Instead, context is absolutely key. But if you're already suspicious about a deflationary environment because of lots of information about it, and suddenly fails surge like they did at the final couple weeks in December, that doesn't end your investigation. It says you need to go even further because there just might be something there. And that's where we are in early January 2024. If you didn't see the video on the context behind repo fails from a couple days ago, that's the one. I've linked it just below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Remember, if you want that report on collateral shortages, that's the link in the description. And everyone, please take care.